Can you sail under the command of a pirate? Can you not? You don't listen to This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. Words are things. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Careful about all calling people out of their names. I kept coming back to it, just trying to figure out where in the world we had gone so wrong that it had ended up here. Well, I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your Huckleberry. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Why, Johnny Ringo. You look like somebody just walked over your grave. Fight's not with you, Holiday. I beg to differ, sir. We started a game we never got to finish. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? What we've got here is... Failure to communicate. Some man you just can't read. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. You don't tell your pappy how to cut the electorate. We ain't one at a time in here. We're mass communication. Oh, yeah. Are you not entertained? That's a powerful new phone. Are you not entertained? Is that why you are here? And welcome to the Pirate Professor Podcast. This is your captain speaking. How you doing, crew? It was an absolutely beautiful day at the cabin. Here, like I guess um, a lot of places. Uh, Friday we got snow. We got more snow than they originally... um, forecast but uh, it was pretty big fat wet flakes and ended up getting about four or five inches out here at the cabin so I just hung tight snuggled up beside the wood stove and thought about warmer places and calm seas so um but I guess since then, you know, uh, everything's melted today. You know, it was in the 60s. All the snow's gone. I finally got my uh, solar system officially uh, completed. And so, now try to move on to the next phase of that. And try to get it hooked up to the grid. So i got to call the power company and see what they have to say. Uh, there's always, you know, hiccups that come around. Um... So I'm not really going to talk very much to. Oh, got the hiccups. Um, not going to talk too much today, simply because I've got a, a whole lot of stuff on tap. Um, we're talking about discernment today. Um, specifically, you're going to hear me spend some time. With Father uh, Reginald Udodge, 
who is a Benedictine monk that I met a few years ago when I went and hung out at the Abbey for a few days and followed some monks around and wrote a story for Arkansas Life. Um, it's a good story. Uh, and so, and they're interesting people. And so, uh, I'm talking to... Uh, Father Reginald, Father Rudodge, however you want to pronounce it, um, about, because he's an interesting guy, uh, it's a, a really, um, liked him when I met him the first time, so I called him back, um, oh, it's been a while, we were going back and forth a little bit, uh, to see if I could get him to talk on the topic of discernment. Uh, as a Benedictine Benedictine monk specifically, that is a lot of what these guys do. Um, quite literally, uh, their job is to pray. And so their job is to sit and be still and think and to listen. And that is a... It's it's the process of discernment, which is is really kind of a lost art in this modern media landscape that we have, or just not even not, yeah media landscape, but also modern Western world uh, where everything has to be fast, 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 fast. Got to got to have that response. Got to have that quick wit zinger ready to go in in a half a second's notice. Or immediately, you know, ready to jump in and argue with somebody uh, without without really taking the time to understanding uh, their position. So occasionally I will throw out the term or a little phrase, you need to go sit under a, a tree with a RC cola and a moon pie and think about life. And as I've said before, that came from... Um, my favorite philosophy professor in college and uh but it's true man it's true uh and it's because really what it's just a funny way of saying hey it, discernment is a thing uh and it's actually an important thing that we don't place too much value on so um that's the topic so i'm gonna hang out with him for about an hour until his voice just about gives out and then after that, I went ahead and recorded the story that I wrote for Arkansas Life. Um, since publishing that, that magazine has unfortunately, like so many others, gone under. Um, but uh, it lives on my website, uh, billyreader.com, and that's R-E-E-D-E-R, uh, where you can find my podcast and a lot of other stuff um anyway so i recorded it and i recorded it oh back in january and i went through and edited it today and man i had a super stuffed up nose when i was recording that thing and i remember it was a, it was a hassle to get through it and i had to edit so much mouth breathing um yeah my nose was so stopped up when i was reading that so um it's hard talking into a microphone when you're reading. 
like when you're when you're just like doing this and you can try and kind of remember to breathe out your nose and and every time I say that I I mouth breathe it. So um <laughs> and so it's really annoying. Anyway, um it was to me. Nobody likes to hear themselves talk. Uh it which is kind of weird because it sounds when I'm recording it like this, I think I sound one way and then when I go back and listen to it, I'm like that's not me. That's not me. I sound way better than that. And then I listen. I'm like, no, you don't. There's a reason you didn't go into radio. Um. Anyway, um, that's beside the point. That's just me being self-deprecating. So what we're going to do is listen to I'm going to jump over after a musical interlude and uh, Listen to what Father Reginald has to say about discernment. And just so you know, even if you're not very religious, this really isn't a conversation about religion. But I'm talking to a priest, so it obviously comes into conversation uh, occasionally. It's it's really just simply about the process. Um, And really, that's what the story after it is kind of... It's... It's a story about trying to learn how to be still and listen. So, uh, without further ado, let's get on with it. Sophie, she speaks to me. Sophie, she sings to me. I love her, but I don't understand. Sophie, she comes to me Sophie, she comforts me I always try to find her wherever I am Sophie, she kisses me Sometimes she misses me When I'm tripping out of my head She speaks us so famously While I wander aimlessly And she brings me back from the dead And I say, hey girl, why won't you stay, girl? Why run away, girl, when I'm acting the fool? She says, hey man, that's so uncool, friend. Don't be too, yeah, then we'll be cool. In a tongue that's as old as the ages She cuts through to the heart of every matter She strips me of vanity Brings peace from calamity And every way she leaves She always leaves me in tatters She wounds with her words Till each one is hurt Oh, it hurts like it's for my own herself blamelessly humbles me shamelessly she does it like only she could and I said hey girl why won't you stay girl don't run away girl I won't act the fool she says why won't you marry me and always be true to me Why won't you stay with me too? She says, I've never once left you. Mm 
chances I've never even once left you and I said hey girl I'm gonna stay girl I've been away girl but never again let's be husband and wife through joy and through strife let's see this through to the end Sophie she speaks to me Sophie she sings to me Sophie she's my only friend Actually uh, one of the things I was going to ask you that has nothing to do with any of this is how has covid affected the abbey Um you know other than the uh, you know, nobody, you know, we've had no serious illnesses. We uh-huh. had, you know, they had that one, uh, you know, a big spurt earlier where, you know, five or six of the monks, you know, all got it. Yeah. Uh, there's another one. Uh, we had a monk came down with it the other, uh, just, I got an email yesterday. Uh-huh. And, you know, we have a new nurse that's, she's saying, okay, you know, anybody, if anybody was on the elevator with them, you know, they're just, you know, starting to do the, whatever the protocols the uh mm-hmm. close encounters the mm-hmm. uh, protocols and so they're testing and quarantining and doing all that i think it's uh it, it, you know in most things it's anytime i preach on on monks uh-huh. you know in my homily i say you know it's you know it's when you you know, anytime I say monk, just insert Christian uh-huh. <laughs> or insert, you know, yeah. Buddhist or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, but it's, uh, you know, it's the same thing that everybody else had. You know, we were afraid at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Then everybody's like, when is it going to go over? And then, you know, we get nervous it is, is, as, you know, we follow the news cycle, you know, right. when they start getting all... And then now it's, you know, to the point where they just, they don't, uh, you know, they think it's over. Right. You know, it's, uh, you know, the quarantine's down to five days now. I'm like, well, it's, the quarantine's still 10 days, but, you know, you you isolate for five and then mm-hmm. you wear the mask for another five, which is still that 10-day recovery. Right. But everybody, you know, it's just everybody just so ready to get over it. Right. That it's... Uh, yeah, there's just kind of a general sense of resignation for a lot of it. And being at the, the university is kind of strange because yeah. uh, we still have we have mask mandates. On, if you're on campus in a building, yeah. you're supposed to be wearing a mask. Um, but what's strange about and, and I, I haven't seen anybody actually enforcing it. So you can walk through the library yeah. and, you know, yeah. half the students aren't wearing them. Um, but what's strange about that part for me is like there's nowhere else in the community that anybody wears a mask yeah. except when they come on campus. And I'm like, we had you know at our little school in Paris, you mm-hmm. know, St. Joseph's, you know, I the you know the parents and everybody they were trying to get us to drop our mask mandate. Mm-hmm. And the diocese said, you know, we're going to drop it. And I'm thinking, you know what, this is stupid. Yeah. Uh, and it was that thing, you know, the parents didn't want them to wear the masks, and I'm thinking, right. you know, and, and I kept trying to. You know, say it's you know we're you know there are two different conversations. You know, mm-hmm. the first conversation is how to keep our children safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally different conversation is how to keep them in school. Right. And you know it's 
if a child gets COVID, mm-hmm. you know, test positive, uh, then if you're vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine. Mm-hmm. If you have a mask and they have a mask, you don't have to quarantine. Uh, if you've had COVID in the last 90 days, you don't have to quarantine. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the mask on, you have to quarantine. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that. It has nothing to do with keeping, you know, it has nothing to do with keeping people safe because, you know, it's like right. I told one of the mothers, I said, you know, I know, I know as soon as you get it, as soon as you pick them up, that mask comes off and it doesn't come on until the next morning when uh-huh. they come in. And she's right. like going, yeah. Right. It's just, you know, this conversation mm-hmm. about whether or not we wear masks at school mm-hmm. is totally so they don't have to quarantine and you don't have to take care of them for five days. Yeah. And, yeah. and she, you know, she voted to bring back the mask mandate. Right. You know, it's once it's, you know, it's got, you know, it's just, you know, it's a game of competing protocols. <laughs> It's, you know, and it, it is, you know, that, you know, the, you know, the safety mm-hmm. is always, you know, foremost. Right. But that's, but then it's like, okay, you know, how, you know, we're doing the best we can. And we, you know, we've always done that. Right. Now, you know, let's play the game and figure out, okay, what, you know, what do we have to do to just keep the doors open and keep kids from having to learn on, you know, the, the uh, what do they call the virtual learning yeah yeah you know that's that was no good for anybody no and i have i'm only teaching one class in person right now and and half of that class meets online because they yeah we've we've moved into this world this world where it's like yeah you can teach in person but you also have to make you know room for the online because there's always that well you know we may have to flip a switch and go back online so you end up teaching like a hybrid class um which is it can be twice as much work. Yeah. Uh, but then the other side, you feel like one side of my class is getting a much better education than the other side. But yeah, mm-hmm. but I, you know, my first year in seminary, mm-hmm. you know, I went to, I was, you know, I went away and it was just, you know, I hadn't been in school in almost, you know, I graduated from college 35 years before. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was just, it was, I was telling this story. I always tell this story. Kathy Cox was one of my moral theology she was kind of the head of the department there mm-hmm. brilliant just neat very pastoral i mean she was just a, just a really neat lady but she gave me she returned my first paper and she's like well you, had, you can you know there were some technical things where i uh-huh. wiped out a whole almost deleted a whole paragraph that was but then she said you know i'd asked you to write now she said something like you know, I, i'd asked for a discursive paper and you wrote a reflexive paper and I just looked at her. I said, "Yeah, I didn't know what that meant." <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. I've been in school in 35 years. I heard I wrote a paper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm just gonna do the best I can. And, uh, but I did find that my second semester, mm-hmm. you know, I got pulled out of seminary. <clears throat> Because of our vows, mm-hmm. and so I took uh, three classes uh, online. Mm-hmm. One was a liturgy class by a teacher that was it was her first online class ever to teach. Mm-hmm. One was by a, a nun up in uh, sister up in uh, Atchison. Mm-hmm. It was her last one that she was going to teach. She'd been teaching, you know, doing this for like twenty years, you know. Right. And uh, and one was 
it wasn't set up, so he just they just I had a friend record the lectures and Dropbox them to me, and then I I'd write a paper and send them back. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had three different experiences. Yeah. And uh, and I the, the but my main thing was I was shocked at how much I learned. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And at that level, you know, at, at a collegiate level or a um, you know, master's level, you know, the students are so, uh, you know, they're there. They, they're there because they want to be there, by and large. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you can, there are creative ways to do that. You can, I mean, with nothing but the typed word, mm-hmm. we had great discussions of, with people from Australia, you know, as far away. I mean, this, you know, this class, there are people literally from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know you had to you had to, you know they'd give you a reading and then you'd have to write just a little bang 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 and it just short and she said you know very concise very short and then you had to go back and then you had to go read three other responses and then respond on them and you know it was but it was it just shocked me how much I got out of that those classes. Mm-hmm. And uh, but at a kindergarten through fifth grade level, you can't do that because they're trying to learn math and they're they're not learning anything. It, yeah, and I, th- I think the big part is the, the moment somebody decides they want to learn something, yeah. that's that's when it can happen. It's when because um, I had a I had a conversation with my class a couple of weeks ago. It's like why are you in college? I mean, yeah. it's like I said I said the problem with college right now is the way it gets sold to people. It's like yeah, it gets sold to you. It's like if you go to college, you get a job. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, that's not what I say. Universities were originally created to. It was a place where people could learn to think. Yeah. Uh, learn to yeah. think. Learn to think. Learn to come up with ideas and learn to articulate those yeah. ideas. And that just makes you a more well-rounded, more well, uh, more well-thought yeah. human being, which makes you a better citizen. Yeah. Uh, which makes everything better. Yeah. As opposed to yeah, you go in here and you you know punch clock and get your paper and yeah. and you go. And because that's one of the things I, I hear a lot of complaints, like they don't students don't want to take humanities classes because they don't want to take the philosophy class. They don't want to take the literature class. Yeah. What's this have to do with my major? Mm, nothing. Uh, it has everything to do with you being a human being, though. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, huh. But um, again, I, I notice like my undergrad freshman classes, they don't do nearly as well in that environment. But as opposed to my graduate students yeah. who are. You know they've they've been out they've been around a little bit they kind of know what they want it they don't know yeah uh, and that's the key yeah it's that that hunger for learning that uh, you know I just, one of my I have a friend that she's a uh, Hendrix grad very smart lived been in DC her whole life but she you know always posts these you know provocative questions and things on Facebook and. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was uh, one was what was the best advice you ever had, and did you take it? And uh, and everybody, you know, they were just lists. It's mm-hmm. you know, all these other Hendrix grads and people. And I said, you know, and mine was he says, you know, a friend of dad's told me to learn a trade, and no, I didn't take it. I <laughs> <laughs> wish I had. <laughs> but that was always dad's thing is uh-huh. that we need to have these trade schools. Yeah. But then we need to we need to throw in a philosophy class yeah entry level you know i mean yeah. it just i mean you know it's if somebody's going to be a plumber their whole life you know they, they you know they don't need to have a 
master's degree, but right. it's just that rudimentary thing just to help them. You know, have, mm-hmm. you know, have business classes, have have an arts class, mm-hmm. have a, uh, you know, just a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, and you can do that, and you know, you'll make a better living than if you have a Russian literature degree. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I had a who's the guy who's building barbed wire fences on our farm yeah. was several years ago and I was asking like how did you get into doing this like yeah. of all the things you could do building like building barbed wire fences just doesn't seem like a thing I would like I'm going to do that yeah. and he said the advice I think his grandfather had given him he's like find something that nobody else wants to do and yeah. then learn to do it better than anybody else yeah. and he's like and then you'll always have a job I was like there is wisdom yeah no, oh, yeah in that statement so yeah okay well let's I guess all, all of this is still kind of is, is knocking around the borders of what I actually wanted to ask you about, yeah. which is, um, again, kind of going back to the online world, is this idea of discernment is we kind of live in this very instant world where everybody just makes these quick decisions or they're mm-hmm. just, they, uh, what did I post? I posted, I made a social media post the other day on yeah. Facebook and there was like, there was some comments in there that are kind of on my, my aunt, Anytime I make something that's anything philosophical yeah. or political, I have my antagonist. It's always the same people. Yeah. And 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 I realized they both wrote the same exact same thing. And I went, they're reading the same script. Neither because yeah. I know these guys. And like neither one of them have thought this through. But they're just. I was like, you guys are just reading a script somewhere. Yeah. Um. Your life um, requires discernment. Is like part of it. Like this, everything about it, from the decision to doing what you do and being who you are um what is it like as far as is discerning things one how would i guess start out, how would you define it and two like how do you think it would play a bigger role like how, how do you think it what kind of a role should it be playing in the world that we live in today with all the stuff we've got going yeah it's you know it's you know discernment's not just for monks and religious and you know discernment has that connotation mm-hmm. of you know a, you know, but it's a discerning process is for everyone mm-hmm. it's how we find out where we are it's how we find out what our path is it's how we find out if it's the right path mm-hmm. you know whether god's in the equation or not you know a discernment process still goes on it's one of these things that you know. It's it's uh, uh, it's just you know it's a it's a deeper uh, plan. I mean, it's a, you know it's that not plan. It's it's a deeper way to look at your life <laughs> and your path. Uh, it's. Okay, how would you define deeper? Uh, it's just not the cursory. It's it's you. You mentioned your uh, Facebook posts, and they're reading the same. You know, uh, they're both reading from the same script. Mm-hmm. It's you know we have that. Uh, you know that we have those things, those markers in our life, whether they're audio or video or people we come across or newspaper. We have the ways that we we just bring in knowledge or bring mm-hmm. in facts or data and things like that. Mm-hmm. Discernment is more 
what to do with all that? What is all this stuff that I'm doing? How do I think about it? How do I look at it? Mm-hmm. Uh, am I looking at it properly? Is it, uh, should I be looking at it at all? Is it, uh, is it important? Is it not important? Is it, uh, you know, discernment is, I was actually talking to somebody about this this morning who's going through the diaconate program. In the first year, it's a, their year of discernment. I said, you know, and it's, you know, discernment has to be done alone. And discernment has to be done in community. It's, uh, you know, discernment is, you know, it's eventually, you know, if it's done right, and I'll let you know if I ever get there. (laughs) But it should be the the way it should be. The discerning process should be who we are. It's like, uh, it's like prayer. You know, Paul says, you know, in Jesus, uh, I always say Paul, but I, say, you know, I think Jesus said it first, that we're supposed to pray always, you know. And that doesn't mean sit there with your beads and say Hail Mary after Hail Mary all day long. It's, you know, what Christ is telling us is to make your life a prayer, to make everything that you do, you know, whether it's setting up for a podcast, whether it's sweeping a floor, whether it's... Uh, cleaning up a broken dish, whether it's uh, everything that we do, every moment of every day, we offer for the glory of God. Uh, it's, uh, and that is the prayer. It's we offer ourselves. It becomes, you know, our life becomes to that point to where everything that we do, we do for God whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. And discernment is a part of that process. It's, it's that part to where we, it's that part to where we, uh, we begin to think about that. Mm-hmm. And we begin to, you know, to contemplate it. You know, it's, if we see a news story, uh, we start looking at it. You know, we, we don't take it at face value. And that's that deeper thing, I'm, you know, that, that I think I, it's we look at you know what's being said uh i was watching tucker carlson last night and he was had this big rant on uh the trudeau up in canada mm-hmm. and they went and they were showing this uh infuriated me they're showing him uh you know, with this Superman suit, you know, and he's like, and he thinks he's Superman and all this. And, you know, and if you use that to make your point, then it was, it made, it painted Trudeau in a bad light. Mm. But if you look deeper at the video, he's with his family on Halloween trick-or-treating. And then it, it's, it's an entirely different you know, it's not a man out saying I'm better than everyone. It's a man out with his family. And that's discernment. That's that going deeper and looking and saying, this is the truth that's here, whatever that truth is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
we do that with our lives. We, you know, we look at ourselves and we, you know, we find through silent contemplation, uh, there's not near enough silence in our lives. We have to, uh, there's too much noise, too much, you know, the phone, uh, you know, that we always have with us. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, Google or Siri or, uh, not Alex, what's her name? Alexis. Oh, Alexis. Uh, then we ask the question and it's answered. Mm-hmm. You know, we just, it's bam. It's like, you know, we do that and we just get on to the next uh, bit of noise that's going to confront us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we answer that and we go and we, the answer, you know, the question wasn't important. The answer is not important. You know, it's forgotten. We're gone and it's uh, on to the next one. I was talking to my students. I, I play devil's advocate a lot in class, and I get yeah. a discussion going. And I'll just ask questions, and they'll. We were talking about we were talking about Plato and the Plato's realm of forms, and yeah. like the, you know, how do you know you know what's reality is? It's kind of more what we perceive as reality is what our, our senses are capable of interpreting. Yeah. Uh, we just kept, but we just kept going, and one of them just got mad at me. She's like, "Why don't you tell us the answer? You just keep asking questions." I was like, "That's how you learn." I was like, "I'm, I'm, I'm leading you to better questions." Yeah. Uh, which is kind of where I've always thought discernment falls. Uh, yeah. you, it's not just about asking. It's not about answering the question, but sometimes it's about asking whether or not you're actually asking the right question. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. It's it's finding. You were trying to find the truth about ourselves. Mm-hmm. First of all, you have to you have to define the. Uh, when I was selling furniture, it used to drive me crazy when we get a new sales manager and they'd come in and say, "Well, we got to think outside the box." And my brother used to always say that he'd say, "Oh, we got to the other because that's where their sales stuff was." And he and my brother-in-law would say, "You know, oh, we got to think outside the box." I said, "Well, wouldn't it be better to define your box and try to maximize it?" And they looked at me. My brother, especially, because he just got you know, he got that funny look that a brother gets. He's mm-hmm. like, well, "You may be onto something here." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but that's discernment. It is. Mm-hmm. It's, it is that dividing. It's, it's coming up with these questions and then and then asking better questions and better questions and answering and then asking another one and going that. You know, our questions are never good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's always more answer out there. And I think it's, uh, it's not coming up with different questions per se, but coming up consistently with a better way to ask that same question, mm-hmm. to get a deeper answer, to get that, to get to where you want to be, which is, uh, what is my vocation? Mm-hmm. You know, what am I called to do? Am I called to get married? Am I called to be a monk, a priest, a sister? Uh, am I called to be single, which is the hardest vocation? Uh, you know, what What does God want from me? What can I, how can I best serve, you know, the body of Christ, which is, you know, the church, which is our community? Mm-hmm. You know, so if, if you're... If you're a Christian, you would phrase it that way. If you're not, how can I serve my country? How can I serve my town? How mm-hmm. can I be 
the best me that I can be mm-hmm. to help the world. Uh, and it's always, uh, you know, part of the discernment process is maybe going back to school. Mm-hmm. Part of it may be, uh, but we don't know. We don't know until we know it. One of the things, I went back and re- reread that, the story I wrote from Subiaco. Yeah. Um, and the, one of the things that I, I really liked what you talk, when we were talking about um, grace and you referred to it as bandwidth. Yeah. Um, and the other part was just simply, it's just the, the idea of the space in between. It's like we were talking about the Ark of the Covenant and it's God's not. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one of the things when I, when I think about sometimes we're, we're looking at a spot and trying to find the answer in that spot, but it's not actually there. What well, you're actually supposed to be looking, you're looking at kind of the nothingness. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're at least allowing the bandwidth to exist within that and let the answer find you. That, yeah, that's exactly, that's, uh, it's, yeah. Discernment is, is, it's, it's an opening of yourself and allowing that to happen. It happens from the people we meet, mm-hmm. you know. A lot of it is, is, you know, there's all sorts of sensory input. That's the community part of mm-hmm. discernment. You know, we can't do it, you know, in a vacuum or else then we're just stuck in that vacuum with our own stuff and then, you know, that doesn't help anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Uh, but we have to take what we have and then come back into that and and create that space of silence so we can uh, so we can hear and so we you know we can hear what God wants of us mm-hmm. and we can't do that with all the noise. I was in my chaplaincy training and they had. Uh, yeah, we'd we'd go through up Minnesota, and they'd give you a stack of patients, and you'd go by and see them, and you know see what they needed, and this and that. And I go into this one room, and this uh, guy's laying in the bed; he's handcuffed to the bed. There are two sheriffs in there, and I'm thinking, "Oh my God, what I get into!" And this guy just starts going. He's talking 90 miles an hour. He just said, "Oh my gosh!" I sit there. I, you know, he he fell and broke his leg, and everybody had to go back to lockdown from their recess period. So he's afraid that he's going to get beat up because he cost everybody their recess, mm-hmm. and it's just this whole horrible thing. But he just—I mean—he's talking 90 miles an hour, and he, he says, "You know, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray." And finally, I'm sitting there, and I just said, "Stop praying." <laughs> <laughs> And those sheriffs, boy, they popped up and everybody in the room, and he popped up. I said, I said, I mean, I don't mean stop praying, but you have to stop long enough to listen for the answer. Mm-hmm. And that's the, you know, the, the, it's, uh, discernment is a proactive thing. Discernment is a passive thing. You know, you have to, uh, you have to ask the questions. Mm-hmm. But then you also have to wait for the answer, and you know you you mull on it, and then you uh, uh, you know kind of chew on it for a little bit, and then uh, it's what they call you know in scriptures you know it's it's ponder, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's that deep. It's not ponder is not think about something, but it is that deeper. You know, you take something and you take a thought and you just chew on it and you gnaw on it until you get every little bit out of it, mm-hmm. and then you go on to the next one. And it's uh, oh, I had a my favorite philosophy professor. He would always sometimes he would let us out of class or sometimes early, sometimes just yeah. at the end. It's kind of his benediction at the end of class was like. I need you to go to. Fi- I said, I need you to go get an RC cola and a moon pie. Go yeah. find a tree somewhere, and then just sit and contemplate life. Yeah, and I'm like, and, and people always took that as a joke, and yeah. it, it, he, came, he he became pretty famous for that. Uh, yeah. Actually, I had him and a literature professor would say the same thing. Uh, but there was so much truth to that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've been known in the past to tell you know cancel class on account of good weather. Yeah. You know, you get weather, winter, and you know, you have the first good day of spring. I was like, I just want you to go outside and yeah. sit down and enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't stare at your phone. Don't go. Don't go play video games. Go just. Just go. Stu- just go study the nature of a squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. There's. I, I think I I identify with that more. Mm-hmm. You know, discernment for me, it's like spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Yes. 10 different people about spiritual direction you get 20 different questions but I was in uh, you know I've had two good ones Father Robert Matters that you know I'd go in and I'd have all these questions and things you know and I'm thinking all the stuff that I'm doing I'd never done spiritual direction before mm-hmm. and he would uh, he'd always stop me and say are you still happy and I'd say yes Mm-hmm. You'd say, persevere. <laughs> <laughs> and I would tell people, you know, these in you know when I'm in, you know, in seminary because they're trying to you know they're going by these books, Ignatian, and all these different ways of spiritual direction and this and that. And people would look at me when I'd say that, and they say, "Well, that's not spiritual direction." This guy was an abbot. He was a hermit. I mean, you know, he was you know the whole you know one of these truly holy guys that mm-hmm. you know that you know and I said you know he seemed to think it was <laughs> and uh, and then I had Father Luigi who was uh, up at St. John's and you know he was getting older and a little you know dementia starting to sit in a little bit so we you know we'd come in and a lot of times we'd just he'd just go through the same thing or he'd forget we had a deal then mm-hmm. we'd just sit and talk but but his was, you know, what was important for him to tell me was to find, you know, he would tell me stories of older priests when he was coming through the process, mm-hmm. that they would just walk and they would talk and he would listen and, and they would, you know, pass on knowledge or just, you know, words and quips and, you know, but, it, but to find someone that you trust and somebody that you respect and and just watch them, mm-hmm. you know, glean what you can from them. You know, learn their warts. You mm-hmm. know, you know the why. You know why you like them. You know, learn the reasons why you shouldn't like them. Mm-hmm. And then go back and say, you know, even with those, why you still like them. You know, it's that. Uh, and, you know, just so much looking at the world and knowing that it's flawed, that we're flawed, that, but it was created by God and it is good. 
you know, how can it be created by God and be flawed? You know, it's, uh, you know, these are, you know, pretty tough questions, you mm-hmm. know, pretty easy questions some days, you know, it's, uh, but there are questions that we do, you know, it's, it's, it's a process that we go through. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if we overcomplicate it, then we're just adding stuff to sift through. It's, it, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go, no. Yeah. No, it's, 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 the, it's simple's not always easy, is just what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, simple's, simple is sometimes the hardest thing. To oh, no, it's very difficult. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's a whole lot easier to bring on the noise and go through the books and check off the lists and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But simple is when we, it's when we bring ourselves down to the core. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, our core is not always pretty. Right. <laughs> it's well hidden. <laughs> yeah, we, we hide that stuff for a reason. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it is when we come, it is, it is coming to that. Uh-huh. You know, those questions, as we progress, you know, hopefully they will become simpler. They'll become more honest. Uh-huh. They'll become more pointed. You know, it's, uh, and then, we, you know, we see ourselves. And it's only when we do that we can progress. You know, Merton would talk about, Thomas Merton would say, you know, he's, I don't know if you're familiar, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, uh, we talk about our sinfulness that, you know, we do, we have those sins that we keep committing over and over and over. Uh, and he would say that we do that because we're comfortable with them. Mm-hmm. We know them. We know that no matter how much pain they cause us or those that we love, moving forward in our relationship with God is an unknown. Mm-hmm. And it's a painful, and it, and it is through, that, through this discernment process that we are, we're peeling away at the layers that are around us to get down to what we may not like about ourselves they uh that's painful that's hard uh to bring it down to simplify ourselves Mm -hmm. and so no matter how painful our sins are we know what that is Mm -hmm. we don't know what this is and that's scary you know it's painful but we know we can tolerate it yeah well and, and i guess that's uh having a conversation with a good friend of mine uh She's one of these people, she's an attorney, works 100 hours a week, constantly exhausted, wants to do something else, but can't, like, and and this is a lot of people, um, not just her, but a lot of people I know. It's the, I know I want to be something different, but I don't want to let go of the thing I am now. Yeah. Uh, Again, it may be making me miserable, but I know I can manage it. I know I can manage this. That step is scary. All of a sudden, yeah. now I have no income. I have been, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's a tough step. It's a scary step. So when you get new candidates uh, coming into, I don't, I don't know the proper yeah. terms, uh, when someone when someone says, "Hey, I think I may want to become a monk." Yeah, this has been my old life. What do you see? I, I would imagine part of the the transition pains. Uh, is is shedding off a lot of the 
the old is kind of going through i know what i've been i know and this is this not only is this unknown this is completely different than anything else what do you see like common things that people are dealing with when they're making that transition or at least oh it's it's, i think most people have got you know they make it the rule says to make it hard for somebody to join Mm -hmm. because they want that discernment process done Mm-hmm. Before, not that it's ever, not that it ends when you come into the monastery. Mm-hmm. You know, they, you know, the the old saying is the reasons that you join the monastery are rarely the reasons that you will stay in the monastery. Uh, you all, you come in with your own ideal of what monasticism is Mm -hmm. you know with your own thoughts of you know this is what it is you know this is what it is you know it's you know it's monks sitting in prayer and holy and i was talking to mother one day and she was before dad died she was all i'm mad at him about something you know know, same song different day and uh I wasn't giving her a whole lot of support. <laughs> and so she said, well, you just don't know what it's like living with your father. I said, Ma, I'll try living with 40 of him. <laughs> and she just looked at me. And you could see this look of horror <laughs> in her eyes, thinking, oh, my God, that's right. You know, uh-huh. it's 40 men, warts and all, stuck together. Uh-huh. <clears throat> you know, we're called to prayer. Most of the time, that's, you know, it's a beautiful thing. You know, a lot of the times it's it's not. You know, we're off key. Everybody's coughing. It's, you know, it's this and that. But, you know, even on our worst nights, I'd always tell people when they complain about it, I'd say, you know, Jesus came and he was happy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, you know, we're gathered in in prayer, which it is beautiful. But we have the same warts and the same habits and the same, you know, you know, it's like, why does that guy, you know, at dinner, you know, you're sitting at dinner. Why does he always tap his fork like that? You know, and it's just, you know, and all this stuff. It's that process. It's why am I still here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, whether it's uh, uh, the questions that we always ask. You know, we always say, you know, it's, am I supposed to be here? You know, where, what, what, God, what do you want me to do today? Mm-hmm. And that's, that question is asked every day. And then hopefully. It seems like a, a, a good question of the people are often asking themselves, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? Yeah. Um, I don't know that they necessarily ask enough. What am I supposed to do with today? Yeah. Um, there was a way I, I, I liked thinking about it. I heard. He'd always ask, "What's the next right answer?" Yeah. Uh, what's, the, what's the next? Right? You're not going. You're not going to be at your destination tomorrow. Yeah. But you can get a little bit closer. So, what's the next right answer? Yeah. So. It's like the you know, twelve step program. It's it's mm-hmm. all about today. Mm-hmm. It's all about you know this is why am I here now? Mm-hmm. And then, and if we ask that question the next day. A lot of times we get a different answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, we should because we're not the same person we were the day before. 
you know, we're never, we're not the same person that we'll be tomorrow. We're, uh, we're always going through that process of learning who we are, of discerning, you know, that is the discernment process is trying to figure out who I am and who God wants me to be. Do you see people having trouble getting breaking through or getting the getting used to the silence of it in your world? <clears throat> yeah. Oh yeah. It's uh, you know the the what's the thing they say the your cell will tell you everything. <laughs> and sometimes it's scary. Mm-hmm. You know, we went to uh, I went to church and with my brother up in Ohio one Good Friday. And it was obviously a young priest, and I mean, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. You know, he had the big pine boughs for the holy water sprinklers, and you know, and it was, you know, he pulled it out, and the water just clung, and <laughs> and you know, there were, you know, ushers with glad rags and this and that. But he had pulled all the, the uh, he had pulled all the, the uh, little mislets out of the church, mm-hmm. and there was just, he put little pieces of, paper a little worship aid that basically just told you what the order of worship was going to be but nothing so i'm sitting there we're we got there about 30 minutes early and i'm finally and i'm starting fidgeting i'm like oh, this is goofy church years i mean it's you know, there's nothing to read i've, I've complained to my brother and of course he's <laughs> mad because i called his church goofy and uh he says, well, you're supposed to be contemplating. I said, I have been for 20 minutes. I said, I'm starting to not like to think what I'm contemplating about. <laughs> <laughs> and it is scary because when we do start giving that honest, that introspective look, mm-hmm. it's uh, we don't always like what we see. And when you're silent, when you're in your cell, which, you know, that's, that's what that saying, you know, your cell will, mm-hmm. you know, tell you everything it's uh it can be a scary place and i i've heard more than one person say i don't like silence because that's when i can hear the voices yeah and um yeah i think yeah that's it's scary yeah it's it's very scary (laughs) it's uh yeah we that's why we have noise that's why we like our phones and why we like our you know i go to mom and dad's and uh you know every tv in the house is on Mm mm-hmm whether you're in the room, so if you walk in and out, and it's just it's just loud. It's just it's just a constant barrage of noise, mm-hmm. because that's uh, you know it is in that silence, and only in that silence that we can take in in all the all the important data. Mm-hmm. You know, our thoughts, observations, other people have. Uh, of us, uh, kind words people say to us, you know, words of uh, uplifting words, words that tell us that we're no account because of this, you know. And it's only in the silent that we can honestly look at that and say, you know, the, uh, you know, God, what are you saying? I'm reading a book, I don't remember his name, but some, <clears throat> this German sociologist, and it's on uh, controllability. Mm-hmm. And 
You know, it's our need to control the world. Uh, and it's, you know, it's almost total. You know, we, there's no, there is no mystery. There's, we've, we're losing or have lost in some cases that uh, sense of the transcendent, mm-hmm. that sense that there's something out there that uh, we can't control God. You know, it's our psyche, our, but you know, it's, you know, he's, I'm just getting into it now, but you know, it's, you know, we, you know, we sit there, we ask Siri, you know, or whatever, you know, if we have a question, we just ask, boom, we've got the answers. We don't have to think of the mm-hmm. answers. Uh, if you can, it's my pet peeve is that, you know, I'll, I'll, I can say something and thinking, oh my gosh, who is that? band football player or whatever that you know that uh and you're sitting around a group and all of a sudden it's you know five people are giving the answer right before you can even attempt to think of the answer mm-hmm. uh you know we don't use our brains we don't use our to think you know we've we're, we lose that sense of uh mystery mm-hmm. uh, why am i the way i am you know, we want to know an answer. You know, we don't want to do the work to. You know, I, yeah, the thing I've heard a lot more in the past, I guess, decade, why am I the way I am? And they'll come up with a diagnosis that someone's told them, well, you're this. Yeah. You're, you're, you're ADHD. You're, you're this. a IFPJ. What, uh, I, yeah, whatever it is. This is the way I, yeah. it, you know, okay. So maybe there's some hardwiring there, maybe, yeah. or this is your kind of general personality, but. Yeah. You're doing more. You're defining, but you're not necessarily defining why. Yeah. So. Yeah, I you know the Myers Briggs test I thought was fascinating. The Enneagram was too complicated for me. I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't get into that. But the Myers Briggs, the, the more that I did it, and then the more, and I got to a point where I just you know I'd take it once a month. Mm-hmm. And I was different every time. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. You know, I'm you know, and I'm in there. You know, it's people say introvert or extrovert. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative. You know, it's nobody's a liberal or a conservative. Nobody's an introvert or an extrovert. We're all varying degrees of humans. Mm-hmm. You know, we all think differently. We all have conservative ideals in some things and progressive ideals in some things. We all have, uh, I had a, Last year was, oh my gosh, besides being a new priest in a parish and having the COVID hit and everything else, you know, I, I taught school. I was, uh, I taught first semester, fourth and fifth grade. Sorry. <laughs> my condolences. And, uh, well, it was, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who was happier for the semester to end, them or me. But, uh, and then the second semester, for, for a totally different reason, I taught sixth, seventh, and eighth grades. Mm-hmm. All you know, it's seven students in one classroom. Mm-hmm. And there was, and I wish I could, I can't remember the other person, but one, you know, it was we we're talking about you know that period around the depression, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I had them read. It was you know it was a uh, you know junior high textbook. You know they have the, all the little short little stuff they pop here. Mm-hmm. But there was a quote by Her- uh, Herbert Hoover 
in a quote by I forget the guy's name, but uh, it was a famous uh, thinker of the time, mm-hmm. progressive, and uh, basically it was there were two statements on economics. One was trickle down Hoover. The other one was it's got to be done from the top up. So I had the had the children read it. And I said, okay, now which one of these are two totally different things? I said, which one of these is right? And we go around the class, and they're just like, going, oh, my God, they're so afraid to say the wrong answer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, okay, which one? And I said, now read them again. And we went through this. We spent an hour on just those two things. Mm-hmm. I, said, I said, you know what? They're both right. They're both wrong. You know, it's, there is no answer. Uh, there is no one answer to anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, you look at, the, you know, there, there are varying degrees. Sometimes, you know, that trickle-down trickle down economics is the best mm-hmm. if everybody has the, the common good in mind. If you don't have the common good in mind, then trickle-down economics it you know it, it never trickles down right you know it's uh, and by the same token you know if you if you know the other way if in 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 a perfect world that progressive model works but it's not a perfect world so you have to have some form of both and, yeah. and it seems like oh and I, I'm, I'm i'm getting into my sailing roots at this point cause uh-huh. i'm i'm thinking about navigation like um if you're sailing out in the middle of the ocean, and you don't have a horizon line on any in any direction. It's just water. Yeah. Um, and it's the the na- navigation is and there's a lot of you know there's the older ways of doing it with like, celestial navigation with a sextant and yeah taking reading. But you're always asking the question, where am I? Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm I'm just in a great big sea, yeah. and that can, it gets into that sort of idea of shades of gray for me when we're talking about you know, not just am I on the right side or wrong side of this thing? Uh, is this the right answer or the wrong side? But yeah. it's the idea, it's like you're saying, there is there is no right or wrong. Yeah. Um, shades of gray is kind of whatever, but it's sort of the way to say it, but it's not black and white, it's shades of gray. But go back How to, you, you're talking about navigation, go yeah. back to the Polynesians mm-hmm. who didn't have a section. It's true. You know, they did, they, they looked at the, I mean, they looked at the water and they, you know, it was, they took into account the current the birds, the everything that was around them. Mm-hmm. They said, all of this is important mm-hmm. for me getting to where I want to go. You know, it's not just the sextant. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you, we use everything. We use all of our tools. Uh, we use, you know, every, you know, we just, we, you know, we're curious. You have to be, you have to be curious to, Discern why it because uh, if you're not curious, then you don't care. You're not seeking. You're not seeking. If you're not curious, you're not seeking yeah. the answers. You know, it's you know what is why why do I, you know why am I the way I am? You know that's you know that's it, it, it's that innate curiosity of wanting to know more, wanting to know about yourself, wanting to know what you're called to do, to be, to. Uh, it is that, that innate curiosity. It's that innate curiosity that allowed these Polynesians 
to tie all this stuff together and get from Papua New Guinea to Easter Island or wherever mm-hmm. the continent, wherever they all, who knows where all they all went, but they went from island to island, so somehow they figured it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's how we develop. You know, weapons of war. You know, discernment doesn't always have to be good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's that, you know, it's depending on, you know, it's that deeper thought. You mm-hmm. know, if you're thinking about warfare, then you're going to come up with a machine gun. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, uh, but it's always, uh, you know, hopefully it's, and for the purposes that we're talking to, you know, we're, we, we are, you know, more of a, not intellectual, more of a spiritual. Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, it's more of a spiritual thing, but it is, uh, it's a personal, it's just finding out who we are. Well, it's what, you know, discernment in a different way, going back to, you know, the, the farm world, I don't know how many times I've seen somebody like, piece of equipment breaks it's a sunday afternoon nothing's open oh yeah and you'll see an old farmer just sit there and stare at it yeah and and you know they're, they're just they're working the problem in their heads like yeah. how can i fix you know what resources do i have yeah. that i can get past this obstacle and get back to work yeah. um yeah but they'll just like they'll sit on a tree stump and stare at the thing and I, you know i've done it uh for some you know for one reason or another this is an unintended un, unintended obstacle in my course yeah and now what do i do what do i have do i have any tools do i have yeah. any uh you know what tools do i have well there's a question you can ask yourself i mean yeah. we're talking if we're talking about you know spiritual tools or emotional yeah. you know what tools do i have to deal with this yeah and it's and you look around and you and you take stock mm-hmm. you know you do you take stock of your life you uh of you know what you have you know if, if you're in a monastery you know what uh, <clears throat> what time am I wasting? You know, mm-hmm. what time? Uh, what? <laughs> what time that I have wasted may be problematic. Mm-hmm. What time that I've, I've, I've wasted may not be problematic. You know, it's uh, if you're always wasting time, uh, then you have a problem. How do you, okay, here's a question for you. How do you know if you're wasting time or taking time? Yeah, no, that's that's kind of where I was. That's that's a better way of saying it than I did. Mm-hmm. But it is. It's uh, you know sometimes I you know if I'm you know I'll sit and watch a Star Trek episode or something and it's and I know it's I've seen you know sometimes I've seen it twenty times before and I know what's going on and I'm sitting there and it's just it's. You know, there's nothing I'm, there's never nothing you're gleaning. Mm -hmm. But uh, sometimes that's necessary just to clear the mind so you can keep going. You know, it is that taking of the time. It's that grabbing an RC and a moon pie and going to sit under the tree. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, just doing nothing. You know, it's, uh, or what, we perceived as being nothing you know it's uh you know if that's all we do all we can't think and contemplate all day because then it's uh 
nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. You know, Benedict was, uh, in his rule, you know, the, the importance to him was, you know, prayer. It was balance in life. It's, uh, you know, we had our prayer, our private prayer, our communal prayer, and our work. And it's all, you know, there's, uh, at some point during history, the of monasticism, this notion of the three-legged stool came about, but uh, which is a good image. But we can't, you know, without the, you know, without our communal prayer, without our, you know, that community that we talked about earlier, you know, how you know discernment is a communal action. It's mm-hmm. also a individual action. Mm-hmm. It's that private prayer, that time that we do sit in silence and. Uh, you know, ponder scriptures, uh, do that self-reflecting. Mm-hmm. And then we go out and our, we do our work. You know, it's all prayer. It should all be prayer. Uh, you know, the monks then, you know, they join together in recreation, mm-hmm. in idle time. You know, it's, uh, and there has to be that, you know. But it, it is that sense that, you know, together we're all, working as individuals collectively. Okay. It's uh, communally. You know, the the desert fathers, they would all go out to the desert and they would be in the, they'd all be in a cave, but they were always close enough in proximity mm-hmm. to one another to where you know, they could help, you know, perhaps they would meet for a common meal once a week. Uh, that's the commodities and the model of monasticism. They all have their own individual little hermitages, mm-hmm. but they'll, that they work and then they pray and they study and they do their stuff individually, but they all, they will gather for liturgy, uh, and for common prayer also at times. So it's uh, it's probably a, you know, it's probably an easier, that's an easier model to get more silence <laughs> than, you know, having it, uh, you know, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a Benedictine where, you know, you're walking past people in the halls, but, you know, you learn that respect for one another, you know, for other silence. And, you know, as they respect your silence. Uh, and then, you know, you join, you know, for meals and things like that. But it's, uh, you know, it's, we're not solitary. Humans are communal. You know, we need that community. Uh, but we also have to have our me time, you mm-hmm. know. That's what, you know, that's the one thing I learned from the Myers-Briggs was that uh, I'd found, remember Dominic? Mm-hmm. Remember, I was talking, we were talking about this the other day. He, uh, you know, I found that, you know, on, that, on the Myers-Briggs, I was really close. Some of them I was just way over here on. But I was so close on some of them that, you know, I'd, I'd flip. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever my letter was, I never did learn the letters. But I did find going through and you know studying on that that you know the reason I'd I, I you know I'd get just really cranky and rude 
you know, at times. And it was, you know, that I'd realized that uh, I was, you know, that I actually an introvert, not an extrovert. You know, I've been a salesman my whole life and mm-hmm. I, you know, I've, I'm forced to learn this, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, but I, uh, when I got in the monastery, all of a sudden, you know, I, you know there'd be those times when you know, I was there, and all of a sudden, it just I just get really snippy and snarky, and uh, and then it's you know I slowly figured out that you know I just I just didn't want to talk to anybody, right. and I'd have to get away, and then I'd find my you know sometimes just a few moments of silence, but uh, recharge and then go back out, and uh, and then I started looking. In my life, you know, going going back and seeing these times, and I said, "Yeah, well, that's why that happened, and this is why this happened, and this is why that happened," and that's part of that discernment process. You know, you learn something about yourself. You learn that I'm not uh, I'm not an extrovert. Mm-hmm. I'm not supposed. To, I wasn't built to be this way. Mm-hmm. This is something that I learned because of I thought this was who I was supposed to be. Right, and moving forward, you know, I've, I'm saying, okay, you know, I, it's okay for me to be this way. I, uh, I don't know who told me, uh, or if it was one of those studies that said, you are an introvert with extroverted tendencies. Yeah. So I can be, so uh, teaching, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll talk about, it. you know, you can, we always just call it being on. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm in kind of performance mode, I yeah. guess you're out, you're talking, you're trying to be engaging, you're trying to do all that stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're done. Yeah. And you're just like, I'm just going to shut the door. I don't care if the TV's, I don't care. And I'm, I, I like silence. So, yeah. uh, it's one of the things my wife is a noise person and I'm right. not. Um, and so I just like, everything's, I just want to be quiet. Yeah. So no, you have to have that. It's, yeah. uh, and I can do it. I can go on. It's like every once in a while, I forget to write a homily. And so I'll get up, mm-hmm. especially with the, with the kids, it's easy with adults. It's harder. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I think I have to, you know, I have that level of, uh, you know, I don't have to work as hard to impress, you know, there, mm-hmm. there is that level of, you know, it's just like I can say anything I want with the kids and they're going to buy it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, or they're not going to question it. They're just going to say that and they may ask me later, you know, something about it or why or whatever, but, uh. That there's the you know, there is a level of comfort there. That you know I still you know, I've only been you know given homilies for you know I've only been a priest for, for three years, so it's uh, so this is still all a little new too. But I'm finding better to where I can just off the cuff give one you know mm-hmm. and I'll give you know I'll I'll go through it I'll get you know you know in game mode or whatever and mm-hmm. you know and I'll get out and I'll walk up and down the highs with the kids and you know ask them questions and put them on the spot and uh, and find that it's fun. But I couldn't do that all day. Mm-hmm. You know, by the, when I was teaching all day, I was there around and I mean, it was, I was just, by the, I was exhausted. I had just, I mean, I would get back and I would just, and then I'd have, have class and then I'd have mass, you know, that night and uh, often and I'm just like going, oh my gosh I'd sit there and I'd just I'd sit there and all of a sudden I'd just I'd wake up and I'm like going, oh my gosh what you know it's, it's dark what time is it is it morning is it night did I miss mass and, mm-hmm. you know am I 
uh, yeah, it's not always rosy. It's not always easy, you know, mm-hmm. to discern. But it's even, you know, through those, it's, you know, you're learning something about yourself. You know, that's, uh, I have more time to myself now that I'm not teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, I have an early morning, <coughs> uh, you know, mass and a late evening mass, you know, seven and seven, basically. And uh, and then the day's free. And then I can, uh, you know, I'll go by the school if I need to do anything there. If I have, you know, I'm going to anoint someone tomorrow. So it's, uh, you, uh, I'm, uh, my days are different than they were as a monk. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I, you know, that's part of my discernment process is, you know, am I supposed to be doing this? You know, I mean, it's wearing me out right now. I mean, I've, I figure eventually I'll figure out once that, you know, I'll get into the rhythm. But they, uh, you know, am I called to be a parish priest? Am I called to be a monk? Am I called to be some hybrid of both? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's where that's my discernment now. You know, it's not you know, just you know, it's not simply, am I still supposed to be a monk? It's uh, you know, how am I supposed to be a monk? You know, is it am I you know, I'm in the parish now, and this is where, you know, I have my obedience to the bishop. You know, I have an oath of obedience to the bishop and to the abbot. Uh, I try to explain this to mom. I, she, she's like, she says, I don't get it. I said, I don't either. <laughs> One of these days I will. But uh, but it's where I am. I'm happy. You know, and mm-hmm. so I, you know, it goes back to Father Robert, you know, persevere. You know, it's the best advice I've ever had. You know, I'm, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, I enjoy my days. Okay. I, uh, even the bad ones. What would you, I've had you talking for a solid hour now, so um, I'll, I'll try to wind it down. Someone could say they're happy, okay, but the, the flip side of it, someone could say they're not happy. Yeah. Uh, you've got an adult. Whether it could be their job, their the town they're living in, their, yeah. their relationships, whatever whatever it is, they know there's some irritation in their life, mm-hmm. and they don't, and there's something on the other side, and they just feel like I need to do it, a major change. If you could give them advice on how to discern, how to make that, it's that. I think it's it's not the major changes. They're important. It's the little things. It's those little daily things that we ignore. And it's not, uh, I'm not happy, what do I need to do? It's, why am I not happy today? Why was I not happy yesterday? Will I be happy tomorrow? What can I do to make myself happy tomorrow? You know, it's uh, sometimes it's not change. It's not changing our place in life. 
is changing the way that we look at life. There are things that, I mean, there are external things that that are beyond our control, and I realize that, uh, that force us to, to totally shift. But the discernment process is not about making big changes. The discernment process is, like I said, is to find out right now where you know where does God want me now how can I be the best me right now and I think that's that focus we look too we look too way too far down the road you know you know we got to have you know retirement and all that stuff but that's the same thing what can I do today to provide for my retirement you know if we do that if we look at those the now you know the time you know the timing of now Augustine had some in uh, later the later things in his confession a lot of stuff on time I didn't understand half of it but it uh, he was always pretty way too complicated for me but it is but it's that notion of the past present and future future hadn't happened the past is gone uh if the past is the reason you're not happy forget it you know get over it move on the present is the only thing that matters the future is not written except for you know our eternal salvation you know that's but uh, it's you know and i'm not i'm not talking about necessarily Christ now or a Christian mm-hmm. sense I'm thinking more of a you know a discerning in that why am I not happy sense you're not happy because you're worrying too much uh, you're not happy because you're accumulating too much you know you're you're not happy because you're looking at the world you're looking at your life through somebody else's lens and you're trying to live it the way you think people think you should live it uh you're you know we worry too much about others about other about opinion we should when we worry about ourselves and being the best us that we can be when we realize that God created us, I've preached a lot on this lately, but God created us. We were created in the image and likeness of God. We're all created differently. You know, God loves us all equally. God loves us all differently. Uh, in spite of our flaws, because of our skills, uh, we look at the total package. And we know that we are good because God created us this way. And when we can do that, you know, it's like the whole, you know, we're supposed to love God before all things, love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, the part we always forget about that is that we have to love ourselves. If we can't love ourselves, we can't love our neighbor. And if we can't love our neighbor, then there's no way we can love God. So, you know, we just, that, if you're not happy, 
Try to figure out why. And figure, look at little things you can do to change it. You know, just, uh, it's my favorite commercial ever. And it was the Blue Diamond, Blue Blue Diamond Almonds. Mm-hmm. They had these two old guys sitting there and said, yep, yeah, Blue Diamond Almonds. All we want's a can a week. <laughs> and that's it. You know, just do it. I just, baby steps. You know, just do the little things that we can do to make our lives better and the lives of those around us better. Right. Anything else you want to add? I don't think. I think that's uh, that's about all I got. I, don't say, I, I can you can start to see the wear coming down. The <laughs> all right, I appreciate it. Oh, that is a joy. I was going to be late. I misjudged the time it would take and there was no way around the fact I wasn't going to make my appointment on time. I hate being late. My meeting was at Subiaco Abbey with Father Reginald Udodge. We'd corresponded back and forth via email and he cut out some time for me this afternoon. But the stress of being late was starting to frustrate me. Being on time is to be professional and being late makes a bad first impression. I didn't have an excuse for my tardiness and began rehearsing the apology in my head. He was waiting for me in the common area of a guest house at Subiaco that resembles a small hotel. Sitting on a couch, wearing the traditional black habit worn by Benedictine monks, he was middle-aged, with thinning hair, a gray beard, and a voice that had just enough gravel mixed with southern draw to add a richness to most everything he said. He was in no hurry and made my apology seem unnecessary before it had left my mouth. I don't know what you think of when you think of monks. Your brain may go back to the middle ages of silent men in robes, chanting by candlelight within the dark walls of a monastery. You may envision something of a secret society carved out of a Dan Brown novel. Or, your brain may go back to Monty Python's cloaked men whacking themselves in the heads with wooden tablets. The urge is to think of them as people set apart. Mystical. Mysterious. Years ago, I attended the Easter Vigil at Subiaco with my wife. It was a cold March evening and a big fire had been lit outside the chapel. Hundreds of people had gathered around the fire, the fog of their breath illuminated in the night sky by the glow of the flames. Soon we would all light our candles by the fire and then silently walk into the darkened cathedral, person by person and candle by candle, slowly illuminating the room. From darkness would come light. It's somber. It's beautiful and full of symbolism. I stood there waiting with my candle. I watched as a group of men in black robes gathered around in a circle. Their heads were bowed, and they cast a vision of everything you might imagine monks being. I eased closer, trying to confirm the stereotype. And that's when I heard them erupt into cheers. That's when I saw the small radio. That's when I realized they were listening to a March Madness basketball game. That's when the illusion shattered. The monks at Subiaco are something more complex than the box in which I try to make them fit. There's something uniquely countercultural about their lives. They defy what you want them to be, but once you get beneath the surface, you realize they are something more than you imagined. It was that countercultural nature that had brought me to the Abbey. 
I was there to make arrangements with Father Reginald to follow the monks around for a few days and see what I might discover. There was a question that had been on my mind for a while that they seemed to be uniquely qualified to answer. I'd spent the past few months covering the escalating humanitarian crisis on the U.S.-Mexican border. For the first time in a long time, I was in the middle of the biggest story in the nation. The only way I know how to explain it is that it felt like it was exactly what I was supposed to be doing. I'd been teaching journalism for years, but this wasn't theory and this wasn't a writing exercise. This was the real thing. I was alone with a camera and notebook, talking to the people everyone else in the country was reading about at home. That experience allowed me to take a fresh bearing on my own life and what I wanted from it. It allowed me to see the rut I dug for myself. Stepping away also allowed me to shut down all those offering unsolicited advice of exactly what they thought I should be doing with my days. Stepping away allowed me to do something meaningful on my own terms. But then I had to return to a world that felt a lot smaller than I remembered when I left. The thing about growing is that you don't fit back into the old boxes that seemed so comfortable before. I had evolved. But I didn't know how to take the rest of my life to that place. And I found myself asking how do I walk away from a life I've spent so many years building so that I can pursue something that I feel called to do. My mind has been a hurricane of thoughts and it's become harder and harder to focus and I desperately need to focus. I needed a space to come to terms with the next right answer. I needed a quiet place. Which is how I found myself at Subiaco talking to a monk about a question that had been bouncing around my brain for a while. What if we walked away from it all? Not for a day, not for a week, and not for a year, but a lifetime. What changes when someone gives up a life focused on the pursuit of family and career, and instead commits to a life of intentional poverty, service, and a singular focus on something greater than themselves? This is why I'm here. In the late 1870s, the Office of the Arkansas State Land Commissioner and the railroad company were looking to increase the wealth of the largely undeveloped western Arkansas. To increase wealth meant they needed to increase the population. The Arkansas River Valley was in a unique place at the time. The wounds and changes of the Civil War were still fresh to the east, and the newly established Indian Territory on the frontier of what is now Oklahoma caused anxiety for the western edge of the state. Judge Parker had just set down his gavel in Fort Smith, and the 50-year-old state of Arkansas and the country at large were in a state of transition and expansion. To do that, the land commissioner specifically sought out Germans. The reputation for being efficient, productive, and orderly made them, in the state's eyes, ideal settlers. And in a plan worked out between the state and the railroad, land grants and loan options were established to make the land as appealing as possible. Now they just needed a German group to spearhead the settlement. When the Mennonites declined the offer, the Catholic bishop in Little Rock got wind of the opportunity and contacted a Benedictine abbey in Indiana with the idea of establishing a German Catholic settlement and a monastery to attend to the spiritual needs of the settlers. They did just that. In December of 1877, the Indiana Monastery sent a monk to scout the location and report back to the abbot. In the line that was later met with a degree of amusement and irritation, 
The monk's proclamation that Logan County was a paradise fallen from heaven sealed the decision to begin the process of establishing a monastery and starting the settlement. On March 15, 1878, three monks from the abbey arrived at the land that would become Subiaco. Tired from the journey, they found a small log cabin and a dilapidated stable waiting for them. It wasn't the paradise they expected, but it was a place to start building it. What resulted over the next few decades was a steady movement towards self-sustainability of both the monastery and the surrounding community. A time punctuated with missteps, internal conflicts, and changes of leadership. To add further hardship, the Arkansas climate was much more severe than they had been led to believe. Food and supplies were often in short supply, and more than once some of them wanted to abandon this paradise and return home to Indiana. In other words, the whole thing was much harder than any of them had ever anticipated. To read their history is to discover that monks, like anyone else, are unmistakably human with all the baggage that it entails. Despite this, they remain tightly bonded as a community with a focus toward both the contemplative and physical jobs assigned to them. They worked and they prayed as the practice of Benedictines. And over time, the monks and the surrounding German Catholic settlers built the abbey at Subiaco in the communities we see today. The Order of St. Benedict is unique among other religious orders in that they are a true monastic community. The process to become a monk requires years of discernment and education. It could be compared with an apprenticeship, with novices progressing through different stages until finally taking their solemn vows. What makes them true monastics is that their final vows are not to the church per se, but rather the monastery. Their vows are to the place they live. Benedictines will spend the rest of their lives living and serving the monastic community within that place. They will live their lives in mutual obedience to the abbot and the other monks. Their lives are pledged to their home. From that time on, they give up everything else. Their job is the duties of the monastery and their family are the other monks. They have no responsibilities outside the monastery, nothing else to distract them. The commitment is for life, and in exchange, the abbey takes on all the responsibility of providing what each monk needs to live and work. When their life is over, the cemetery behind the abbey will be their final resting place. They will be buried in a simple wooden coffin, and what few possessions they have, such as books or family photos, will be given away. The ideal monk, I am told, will own no more possessions than what would fill a simple cardboard box. It's easy to think this life would be tempting for someone running from something. But it's not about running from something. It's about running to something. The monastery sits on approximately 2,000 acres of farm, timberland, and a watershed, where the monks serve as caretakers, raising cattle and gardening in addition to providing water to the surrounding community. There is a vineyard where they grow grapes for their communion wine, and like good Germans, a new brewery and tap room that is open to the public. There is also a bakery, a print shop, greenhouses, a wood shop, and sawmill, all staffed by the monks. From its humble beginning as a log cabin, Subiaco has transformed into a sprawling complex of native stone buildings and gardens. It's something more reminiscent of a European castle from another time. In addition to the abbey, there is Subiaco Academy, a private college prep school for boys. Despite all the activity, it's quiet in this place. 
there's a different pace of life here. For the community, time is strictly regimented with days that follow a set routine, but that routine isn't structured around efficiency and maximizing productivity. It's built on a balance between work and prayer that for Benedictines is central to their way of life. The absence of distractions leaves room for the mind to focus. There is a distinct minimalism here that is worth noticing when the pressures of modern life are removed. For monks who no longer need to worry about where they will sleep, what they will eat, or whom they will spend their lives with, this void creates an intentional space for God. A couple of weeks later, I'm back at Subiaco walking the grounds with Father Reginald. He's been kind enough to let me stay at the Abbey for a couple of days to shadow the monks and have some extended conversations with them. It's December and he isn't dressed in the traditional black habit. Instead, he's in work clothes more suited for farm life and mud. As we walk, I ask him what he did before coming to the Abbey and how he's changed since then. I ask him about the balance of life as a monk and how the environment helped shape him into who he has become. Father Reginald, like every other monk I asked, gave me a single answer. I really haven't. I'm still the same person I always was. On one hand, I believe the sincerity of the answer. He sees the same man in the mirror that he saw when he was on the road as a salesman in a previous life. The others were the same. One monk was a real estate broker who had a taste for expensive cars. Another a business owner who ran a multi-million dollar company. Another was a lawyer, now living as a novice, who had not yet taken his final vows. For all the variations of their previous lives, there was something that called them to leave those worlds behind and toward this simple monastic life. It's not just what they are now, but more what they are no longer. To watch these men live life together is to watch men act like so many I've known. They like to joke with each other, pick on each other, laugh and swear and sit around drinking coffee together. Sometimes personalities clash. In that respect, these men are entirely normal. But beneath that sits something else. A different way of viewing oneself that is fundamentally different from our modern world. When I dug deeper, Father Reginald made an interesting statement. He said, We farm, but we aren't farmers. We teach, but we aren't teachers. We bake, but we aren't bakers. Their identities remain separate from the things they do. They are intentionally trying to be nothing, but nothing is actually something, and nothingness is a word and concept loaded with meaning. In the book of Exodus, God gives specific instructions to the Israelites on the construction of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark would be used to carry the Ten Commandments given to Moses. But there was something else that is easy to overlook. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upwards, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking towards the cover. Place the cover over the top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. There, above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Exodus 25 20 through 22. God would not be in the box. Instead, 
the space in between the angel's wings hovering above the box is where God would be found. The space in between, within this emptiness, is where their power could be found. In graphic design, there is a concept called white space. Basically, it means not to crowd every square inch of design space with stuff. It leaves room for the eyes to focus on the most important element of the design. The irony is that creating designs beautiful in their simplicity, designs that express something much larger, isn't easy. But the simplicity of good design is what gives it its power. It's not so much the ink as it is the space in between. I spent some time walking around the grounds. The monks were always happy to show me that what they were doing, whether it be Brother Basil letting me taste his latest ale or Father Richard's spicy habanero monk sauce. But they were also happy to leave me alone, and so I wandered uninterrupted. The delicious smell of peanut brittle drifted through the air as many of them were busy in the bakery filling Christmas orders. As I walked around the hill, I noticed one of them sitting alone in a golf cart looking out over the horizon on a crisp December afternoon. He didn't look over. He didn't say hi. He was in his own place and within his own mind. Because for all the busyness of the season, there was still time to be made for quietly looking out over creation. For this monastic community of men, that space in between becomes the key to unlocking an understanding of not only their focus, but why so many of us are lacking it. Much of the chatter and noise that fills our lives and our minds is absent from the Benedictine way of life. While they haven't taken a vow of silence, much of their lives are spent quietly going about their work and prayer. Everything is slowed down and subdued. They don't say much to each other as they pass within the halls of the monastery, and some of their meals are eaten in silence. Other parts of the day are simply spent in quiet reflection, meditation, and prayer. The quiet becomes something they crave. To return to my question of what has changed about these men who have let go of the pursuit of career and family, it is simply this. They have learned to be still. They have learned to listen. They have learned to quiet much of the chaos of their minds as they explore the space in between to pursue the grace of God. Their job, at its core, is to pray for the church and the world. To think about the relationship between their lives and grace from their point of view is to think about bandwidth. It's tuning the dial so the station comes in clearer. It's walking into a quiet space to have a conversation. It's making sure nothing is interfering with the signal. For them, grace is the signal itself. Grace is the link to God. Grace is the residue from the Big Bang. A life of less, a life of minimalism helps keep that channel open. Their job as Benedictines is to pray in order to receive grace and channel it to others. Father Reginald put it this way. A prayer is what we have in common. We pray so that if we see someone acting like an animal, we still see them as a child of God. Without the grace from the prayers, which comes from some, I don't know, big cosmic vibe or whatever, you know, it's just how we do it. That's the reason. 
what we do has value. It can't always be seen and it can't always be quantified. If I pray for someone with cancer, is it going to cure their cancer? I don't know. But I know that it's important. Outside, the church bells break the stillness of the evening. I'm sitting in the stone cathedral as the monks shuffle in for vespers. It's the fifth and final time of the day that they have come together as a community. Slowly and quietly, they make their way to their places behind the altar. Black habits with leather belts around their waists, some still wearing blue jeans and work boots underneath. There is no music playing and no one is speaking. There is only the creaking of seats and kneelers where they pray. Soon, they are singing and praying in unison. When it's over, they leave as silently as they came. After they are gone, I sit alone and try to collect my thoughts. Here you want to speak quietly. This place was meant to carry sound and the environment forces you to consider your words. The sanctuary seems enormous in the darkness. The vaulted ceilings and stained glass disappear into the night. There's only the sound of my breath and the soft sound of running water from the fountain. Since I've been here, I've left my phone in my room. Cell service is terrible here, plus I don't want the distraction. It took time, but eventually the anxiety of reaching for it every few minutes was replaced by a relief from the stress as it brings to my mind. I sit and I listen. I try to be still. I fidget in my seat. I try to calm the chaos. My mind gets distracted. I try again and again. I start asking myself questions. Who am I beneath the surface? What is this chaos keeping me from becoming? Why do I cling to it? What am I afraid of losing? What if I don't get? And then I stop. Something tells me the questions are the chaos. I stop trying to fight the quiet of this place. I settle back into my seat. I acknowledge my anxieties. I acknowledge my distractions. I list them in my mind and I reflect. I think about their evolution. I think about my own. It's less about who I am now and more who I am no longer. In that moment, I listen to my breath. I listen to the water. Alone in this place, there's something I feel. Call it residue from the Big Bang. Call it a cosmic vibe. Call it grace. All I can say is that for a moment, my mind was still. I wasn't thinking about my job. I wasn't thinking about obligations. I wasn't thinking about anything at all. For a moment, I was looking through the darkness at the space in between. <laughs>